0: Welcome to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. My name is Pete Scazzaro. Today's theme is Why do so many leaders finish poorly? Why is it that so many leaders finish poorly? Dr. Robert Clinton, a professor of leadership at Fuller Theological Seminary, spent over 15 years conducting uh, extensive research on how leaders are developed and how they finish. And he did an exhaustive study of the Bible on this, studying over a thousand biblical leaders and then hundreds and hundreds of leaders through church history. And here's what he found that 30%, only 30% of the leaders in the Bible finished well. In other words, 70% of the leaders in the Bible did not finish well. I mean, like, wow. And the same thing applied through, through human history, that really a, the large majority of leaders over the long haul do not finish well. And the question is, why? And what are the ingredients that we need to finish well? So what I want to do uh, today is I want to talk to you about Saul, uh, who's a great leadership study. And then I want to explore his life, and then talk to you about what are I'm going to give you at least four simple ingredients that I think are key to finishing well over the long haul. And so today it's basically on Saul. So here's here, here's the thing with Saul in uh, for the book of First Samuel as he emerges. He he he's as a young man he, he's chosen. He's called out by the prophet Samuel. He is handsome. He is charismatic. He's extremely gifted, obviously very bright, and uh, he, as he takes leadership, he leads an army of three hundred and thirty thousand men against Israel's enemies and and emerges victorious. I mean, could you imagine? And people love him. Uh, he has some walk with God, uh, loves God. He's, he's he's apparently, in all all appearances on the surface, very faithful, but over time he diminishes, uh, his, his walk with God diminishes. He, he begins to show signs of internally falling apart, and, and we see him half obeying God. We see him jealous of people like David trying to kill him. We see him holding on the power. We see him stubborn. Uh, he eventually gets further and further from God, and God until the end of his life. He's a, he's a, a sorry, sorry state of you know, in, involving himself in witchcraft, and it's really, really sad. But I want to focus on the two major things that marked his decline. The first was a low self-awareness. He he is externally gifted and accomplished, but internally not very aware uh, of what's happening inside of him. And so even as he, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see him jealous uh, of—not jealous. We see him uh, given a command by God to wipe out all the Amalekites— uh, but he doesn't do it. He obeys most of God's will, but not all of God's will. And even when he's confronted in his failure to obey God fully, uh, he's, he denies it. And it's like he's out of touch with his own uh, ability to self-deceive himself. And we see him very concerned about what other people think. We see him fearful of people, uh, trying to impress. And and it, it, it's, it's tragic, even there in the very early stages of 1 Samuel 15, of just a, a very low self awareness, and even as he as he's declining and trying to kill David six different times, he tries to kill David, uh, and his jealousy of David just just eats him up. As as David, as a young younger leader emerges, uh, he just doesn't show any awareness of what's happening inside of him, even when he's confronted head on uh, at one point and, and 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 you know, Samuel the prophet says to him, "Does the Lord desire burnt offerings and sacrifices? No, to, to obey." or to listen is better than sacrifice. You know, God looking for you to he, obey his voice, not simply do religious activities and uh, sacrifices, but Samuel, but Saul can't see it. And he just misses it. And then again, the, the story just slowly over time, if you read the book of 1 Samuel, he goes into a, a steep decline. He's very shallow. So that's number one, he's got just a, a real low self-awareness. Uh, and I, it's interesting because I've seen that so often, leaders are just incredibly gifted and publicly in a pulpit Able to apparently access all this deep emotion, uh, connect with thousands of people at a time, but then one-on-one and, and being with them, one realizes, oh my gosh, they're like they're very self-unaware un- of how they're coming off. Uh, them taking up perhaps a lot of space, being narcissists, uh, needing to be the center of attention, uh, not being very warm or loving. Uh, and something clearly being wrong and i it, initially when it first started happening to me I, you know i think i'm 30 plus years ago 40 years ago i used to be really surprised and shocked uh, then i realized oh my gosh this 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 is more normative than i expected uh, and sometimes it's not even a surprise as things emerge over time that Are surprising and and tragic. So, again, first of all, Saul lacks self awareness. Secondly, is he never develops a deep relationship with God like David. We we just don't see him writing psalms and singing songs like David, pouring out his heart before the Lord like a deer pants for water, so my heart seeks you. You you don't, don't see that passion and hunger and thirst in Saul like we do in David. And when setbacks and failures come, uh, he doesn't seem to learn from those lessons, He, he to, like, for example, to wait on the Lord as there's a delay. And and so it, this, this lack of cultivating a deep relationship with God catches up with him when he finds himself in difficulties and delays. And again, he, he's flippant around the will of God, almost like it's not that big a deal. And so his identity is so wrapped in his role of being a leader and the king of Israel when David comes along, he just can't bear the thought of David, you know, being the king or being the one that everybody loves uh, because his identity is so fused with his role as the king and what people think that that lack of a deep relation with God really comes to the forefront uh, when he is, has to transition his role because he doesn't have the depth of walk with God to, to do it. So the question is, what makes a person finish well? Why do some people finish well and others don't? and i I'm gonna just give you a f- four things that I, I've noted here that I, I think are key, and I submit them to you because I, I think they are somewhat universal uh, and uh, and by God's grace, will apply to you. So here's the first thing. One is, people who finish well ha- have a cultivate a deep, long-term inner life with God. I'm talking about a, a secret history with God, slow, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, uh, decade after decade, uh, developing a relationship of deep, loving union uh, with God in Jesus Christ, slowly over time. And really, the the thesis of the Emotionally Healthy Leader book really is just that. I mean, when I began writing uh, that book and was beginning to address issues like, you know, planning and decision-making and culture and team-building, et cetera, I realize that it all does go back to your inner life. You know, who you are is what you will transmit. It is what you do. It's what comes out in your leadership. And, and there's no substitute for the long years of developing a secret history with God. It is It is not that easy or simple to stay the course through the seasons of life. And there are, all, boy, so many different seasons hit us, some with some winters that are heavy winters, others times just springtime. But, but I'm talking about developing a deep inner life with God regardless of what's happening around you. A consistent time in Scripture, just eating and drinking of God in Scripture, you know, having stillness and silence to hear His voice, you know, fellowship and worship and confession and uh, fasting and just the, 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 just being with God, cultivating that relationship above everything else in life so that I don't have an identity first in in anything outside of God. I'm, I'm God's son. Uh, I belong to him, I'm married to God. So yes, I'm a husband, yes, I'm a pastor, yes, I'm a teacher, yes, I write. but those are all secondary issues that I've got a have got a, a an identity in a core of my walk with God. And uh, that's really how I believe succession becomes a possibility because without that, it's very hard to think long-term about getting out of the limelight, allowing the next generation to emerge, and basically taking a back seat that's invisible. So that's number one. Recognize I've got a soul in me, and I've got to, have, I've got to develop a deep walk with God over time. And so that means I've got to limit my busyness uh, and my activity so that there's actually time to cultivate a deep walk with God, apart from sermon preparation, et cetera. That's number one. Number two is mentors. One of the things that Clinton, Robert Clinton, this professor from Fuller discovered, was that most leaders who finished well had 10 to 15 significant mentors who came alongside them at different stages of their life. And here's how he said it. He goes, simply put, he wrote, if you're serious about finishing well, you need to find mentors who can hold you accountable in every area of your life and ministry, and who will help you avoid the pitfalls that will arise as you move through life. An effective mentor will ensure that you continue to grow and develop. And I think that is spot on. Uh, it's surely my story. I mean, I've had—I've probably had more than ten to fifteen mentors uh, over my years that, at different stages, have served me saved me, coached me, blessed me, and uh enabled me to make it through uh and, and saved me from a lot of mistakes. We're gonna make a lot of mistakes on our journey. Everyone does. But there's stupid mistakes. Jerry and I like to call it there's clean pain and stupid pain. You know, we want clean pain, you know, the not not stupid or dirty pain that could have easily been avoided if we'd gotten some counsel. And uh so again, mentors come in all forms. And I think that the one of the key things is is Being, being, you know, looking for mentors that fit what you need at that stage of life. So I remember, for example, I'll go back when I when I initially emerged into emotional healthy spirituality in 1996. uh, I began to look for mentors who knew that area well, and so I ended up enrolling in even a program, a a doctoral program in marriage and family, because I wanted to study uh, the emotional component of discipleship and leadership. And so here I was in this doctoral program, and most people were going to go on to be professors or therapists. and here I was. I'm you know pastoring a church and i'm I'm coming at it with the angle of discipleship. But I knew that the professors and the you know other students were experts in the area of emotional health, but there was they were rarely found within the church and uh, and so you know I found mentors in that area. It, it so served me. well, I think of succession the same thing. i I went and talked to a couple of pastors who actually I had one in particular that, uh, who had been in his church, you know, decades and who had done succession uh, and knew the pain of it. I remember calling him at one point and I said to him, you know, we, we, I was in the middle of it and I was about a year and a half into it and I was i was depressed and I i wanted to shake the depression. And intellectually, I knew that what I was doing was right. In fact, it was a great process in place and everything was going really well, but I was depressed and I called him, I called him multiple times. And I remember calling him on this one occasion. I said, why do you think I am depressed? And he laughed. He goes, oh, it's totally normal. And he said, you know, you're, 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 you're separating from something that you have loved and given your adult life to in this church. And uh, grieving is a healthy, normal process. And he goes, I would not try to get over it. Just lean into it. And he goes, I promise you, it will lift and it did lift. I remember it, you know, lifting and saying, wow, that was amazing. And the grief time was over and I was in resurrection it was wonderful. But I, that mentor piece was was critical. I've had therapists who've been mentors for me uh, at different times, spiritual directors who've been mentors for me. I've had, you know, mentors, uh, just older men and women who have been mentors, who have given their lives to mentor younger leaders. And uh, again, taking the time and energy to make that happen, to travel, to spend money, because it does cost all those things. Uh has been critical for me, and I believe it's critical for others. And even now, at this stage of my life, I, you know, I, I, I've been. I had some mentors recently who were mentoring me in growing older. In fact, what I asked Jerry for for my sixtieth birthday last year was, I, I wanted to go see a, uh, a mentor of mine. He's actually a PhD therapist as well, and I wanted to go see him in a different city just for two hours and just talk to him about what he's learned about aging, as he was about eight ten years ahead of me. It was an amazing two hours. Uh, but again, I, so I've had mentors even entering my stage of h- coming into my you know sixties, and how can I serve Christ in a wonderful way? Because I've never, I've not seen too many people grow older in a fruitful, wonderful way. All right, number three, uh, how do people finish well? A deep in our life with God, mentors. Thirdly, they're, they're humble, lifelong learners. That is a key characteristic. They're hungry and thirsty to grow and learn. And again, learning from anywhere, everywhere, church history, other streams, uh, folks who are coming from completely different places than you. But, but you're just, there's a sense where, not that I've arrived, I mean, I'm, uh, we're hungry and learning. I mean, I, I feel like right now I am, <clears throat> I am growing more than ever and excited about the future and where it leads me. And so I, that's a question I've got for you. Are you a humble, lifelong learner? Because when you got to a place, that I, I've got it, I, I've learned enough, uh, you're in big trouble. The final quality is this, that folks who finish well think long-term. Uh, they, are, they are strategically leveraging their contribution for, you know, 20, 30, 50 years after they're gone. They're thinking about legacy, very aware that, uh, as it says in Psalm 90, "'Lord, teach me to number my days aright that I may gain, that I may gain a heart of wisdom.'" And it's that long-term vistage or, or view that enables us, I believe, as we grow older to stay the course. Our best fruit comes 20, 30 years in leadership. I like what Bobby Clinton says in his book, The Making of a Leader, that the first 15, 20 years, the primary work going on in your leadership is in you not through you. And I I agree. And another mentor of mine had had said to me years ago that your best years are going to be your mid-60s. Your second best years are going to be your mid-70s. Your third best decade is going to be your mid-50s. And I have found that to be true uh, because you're just at a different place. You see things so differently now. I I see things so differently now than I did when I was in my 30s. Uh, But I get it, what Moses was praying in Psalm 90 uh, and what Scripture talks about from generation to generation and that people who finish well are thinking not about themselves, but about those who will follow. And that we give ourselves away and anything we've done away to the next generation. And it keeps us honest. So let me close with that. And next week, I want to go to part two of this. And again, each session will stand alone. And I want to talk to you about self-awareness and God-awareness as the two great keys to great leadership and talk to you about David. So listen, if you're not on our email list, let me invite you to go to www.emotionallyhealthy.org. Get on our email list. Every week I send out a mentoring email uh, to the tribe of folks around the world who are following and looking to integrate emotionally healthy leadership into their lives. So you want to get on that mailing list. And and if you've not gotten a copy of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship Kit, which just came out this October, actually comes out next, the week that you're going to comes out next week actually, I think it's October 15th, Uh, do get that kit and begin to look through these courses uh, and bring them to your uh, tribe that you are serving. So God bless you. Thank you, everybody. It's been great to be with you. Look forward to being with you again next week. Take care.